1: Consequence Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. On this episode, we are talking with Brian Head Welch. Now, many of you know Brian from his years as the lead guitarist of Grammy Award-winning band Korn, which is considered one of the bands most responsible for pioneering and championing the new metal genre. Korn has given us several hit songs, including Blind, Got the Life, and my personal favorite, Freak on a Leash. Brian has another project that he's been working on since 2012, the band Love and Death. Love and Death is signed to Earache Records and has a new album coming out in 2021 called Perfectly Preserved and includes their new song, Down. Now, on the Going There podcast, our goal is to provide a safe zone where people can talk about difficult topics and feel heard and validated so we can all challenge the stigma of mental illness, come out of the darkness, and get the care we need. We have in-depth conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other about what it means to cope with mental illness. And Brian has been such a strong mental health advocate over the years. I felt fortunate to have had a chance to talk with him a year ago about his life, including his movie Loud Crazy Love, where he really opened up about his struggle with depression and addiction and how spirituality was the key for his recovery. And in our conversation today, we really go into detail about what his experience was like with both depression and his dependence on crystal meth. Now, depression is a mental illness in which people feel intense sadness and often a loss of interest in their lives. Depression can be accompanied by a range of symptoms, including poor sleep and eating, low energy, and poor concentration. And one of the things that depressed people often experience is intense feelings of low self-worth, shame, and self-criticism, which Brian talks about. And dependence is generally characterized by both tolerance, whereby you need more and more of the substance to get the desired effect, and withdrawal, where your body goes through an often intense and painful experience in the absence of the substance. People who become dependent often find themselves starting out using a small amount of a substance, but using more and more over time as the dependence becomes greater. And Brian talks about his experience with depression growing up and his later dependence on crystal meth. He also talks about how his music and finding spirituality in his life became part of his ongoing recovery. So let's go there and listen to what Brian has to say. So we are here with Brian Welch. Brian, welcome. What is happening? Thanks for having me. All right, so let's get right into it. So you and I have talked before. Yes sir. And you've been very you've been very public about some of your struggles with both depression and addiction. And I thought let's just go right into it and talk about what sounded like happened for you first, which was the depression. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: Yes. Much sooner than than the addiction came, the
0: depression was, yeah. Let's talk about that. You know, what, depression hits different people in different ways. How did depression hit you? How did that manifest for you?
1: Um, I I think it, for me, it was a type of, uh, I mean, it could hit anybody for any type of different reasons. We know that um one person it could be um family problems or whatever another person could be self-hatred another person it could be um just uh you know mental illness whatever it can, the list can be whatever however long but mine was i think mine was um self-hatred mixed with uh i think the foundation of it was the way i I looked and the way I got bullied made me feel like I wasn't good enough. So I hated myself. And if I looked different, I wouldn't be bullied. If I was more uh fearless and stronger and I could, you know, some of my friends would everybody's afraid of them because they'd just punch them in the face, you know. And I would I was I would cower because everybody grew up before me. I was the I was the little kid, I was the pudgy kid, I was the this and that. And so I think all of those um, caused the perfect storm of my depression to grow at a young age. I mean, it started probably, I remember having issues with myself, probably fourth grade, you know? They were minor, but like, then I moved to Bakersfield from Los Angeles area in fifth grade around, uh, nine 10 years old and and then the issues grew and uh because the the bullying um started and and all this other stuff and and then you go oh my god the junior high school years those are the worst years of my life (laughs) and so you know that all of that and so it kept growing like year by year i feel like it started in fourth grade and as a seed and that seed just was planted, and it started growing, and it became a big, uh, a big, like, overgrown plant.
0: That That's the thing with self-loathing. It's like, when you get it in your head that you're worthless, and you know, worthlessness is a big symptom of depression for a lot of people. When you're worthless, you know, shameful, hating yourself, everything starts to feed into that system. It's like, everything seems like a monument to how horrible of a human being you are. Right. I agree. Totally. It, so when, when you had those, those thoughts was, you know, sometimes when people get depressed, they're, they're sad or they don't enjoy things, they don't sleep. Did you have any other symptoms or was it mostly just that, that really kind of Epic self-loathing?
1: Yeah, it was just uh, it, it manifests in sadness you know, and you know, the, the happy-go-lucky kid uh, um, was, had a, had like a roommate (laughs) of a dark, depressing, sad kid, you know, and so there was, it was a back and forth type of thing. It didn't take over fully, you know, it never took over fully until later on, you know, with the massive addiction, but For years, it was just this like kind of Jekyll and Hyde
0: type of thing. And did you feel, because a lot of people, what they'll talk about is that that voice in their head that almost feels like a different person. I mean, did it feel like, hey, there's this, you know, kind of the angel devil thing on my shoulder where it's like it's constantly, it's almost like another person in the room saying horrible things to you.
1: No, mine wasn't like that. Mine was more of like a, just a feeling you know it was more of a feeling that i that i had either like happy or sad type of thing or 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 you know like the sun is shining or massive storm around you type of thing like that but um or maybe not massive storm but just dark you know just dark and depressing type of thing it was mine wasn't uh like overly dramatic in a way that some like bipolar or some people could could uh
0: experience um so and and when when it was happening you know what did you do to cope i mean did you try anything did anything work um uh, music even back then
1: oh yeah i mean i started playing guitar in fifth grade so i mean just we were talking about ozzy just a few minutes ago before we started and and uh ozzy was all over my walls at 10 years old. So, you know, just the guitar, the Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, RIP, both of them. And, um, you know, Judas Priest, KK Downing and Tipton and, you know, Iron Maiden, all of those bands. I just got so into it. And so what what really helped me was TV too. I would get lost in TV. I, I, you know, kids have video games nowadays, kids have TV, kids you know, they have a lot more now, but back then it was it was video games too, you know, Atari and uh, all that stuff. But anything to have fun, right? Cuz some of my friends were they were they grew up before me, but they were either nice to me or they would like emotionally abuse me and i kind of took it because i was kind of it's like i was capped it's like they're my only friends and so i let them do it and i was i just wasn't a really self-confident kid man so yeah i would i would uh whatever i would just at home i'd watch three's company and jefferson's and all that stuff and and i would love that man i get lost in those shows and you know, uh, what was the other one?
0: It was all in the family.
1: How about the, yes. How
0: about the, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. The world's, yeah, the world's, the, wait, the greatest American hero.
1: Yeah, that one. I, th- I,
0: th- I think you and I apparently grew up watching the same shows. <laughs> that was a good show. The
1: Hulk.
0: It was. The Hulk. The Hulk was the Hulk. fantastic. All that stuff, man. I-, I
1: was so into all that. And then my guitar and, in my bands and that was it man not much else oh and motorcycles i loved. i've started
0: riding motorcycles so that's all those things all the above helped me and and one of the things that when people don't struggle with depression that they don't give a lot of uh, credibility to is just if you can find anything that makes you feel good man you're gonna hang on to that yeah and it, you know and and people say oh you should do x you should do y and and I, I just say to people, look, when you're depressed, as long as it's, you know, not unhealthy, you know what I mean? Some people will say like, oh, TV is unhealthy or video games are unhealthy, but unless it's really unhealthy and if it brings you out of that space, I, I think it's a, I think it can be an okay thing to do.
1: Totally. Yes. You know, it's not like illegal drugs and you know, prostitutes and stuff like that, you know, to each their own. But, you know, if it's like an activity where an art and, uh, you know, stuff you're into, like that will just lift your spirit, man. And yeah, that's what I I went for. And that's, it's pretty simple, right? (laughs) Yeah. Find what you love to do and do it and find people to encourage you and do it with them.
0: It is, it's, and, and, and it is kind of, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but that, that is ultimately such a spiritual process because it feels like depression, among the other things that it does, it, it just kills the spirit and it kills that fundamental sense of, okay, I, I'm me, there are things that I like and I'm just going to, I'm going to do them, I'm going to find people that I like, I'm going to spend time with them. It's so simple and it, it feels so connected when you can do it. But if you can't, man, it's just, you just get lost really quickly. Hundred percent you get lost very quickly. So when as you started to you're playing guitar, at what point did you start to notice like, hey, this guitar thing may may bring me places?
1: Then I, I was I lacked so much self-confidence. I mean, I was getting good, pretty, you know, good enough to where you know people could recognize the songs I'm playing. And I was I was known as the kid that was a good guitar player, you know. And so uh, my other friends tried to, but they couldn't play like me. And, and that might've spurred some jealousy too, but who knows? But um, I, I'd never had the confidence to be like, I'm gonna be a rock star, but you know, people would, we would joke about it and I would say it, like I, I believed it at one point, like I'm gonna, you know, my, my dad would uh, encourage me, but help me see reality. <laughs> You're like the chances of that are pretty slim but but uh so you should make sure and get a good ec- education and all that and so but um you know honestly I I tried to my my biggest passion in my late teens mid to late teens was the shredders like Ingve Malmsteen and uh you know players like that and I practiced and practiced I was on a mission to be able to play like that and and i just hit a wall i just i couldn't i couldn't get to that level of gifting to be able to play like these guys and i kind of gave up and um you know i got i got my heart broken i got dumped by this girl my first like long two year relationship which is forever when you're 15 to 17 or 16 to 18 whatever it was and so when she dumped me I started drinking right before that relationship, you know, on the weekends a little bit. And when she dumped me, I went full into everyday drinking and uh, I stopped playing the guitar. I moved to LA and I lived with Monkey, Fieldy, David, and a different singer in Burbank, right outside of Hollywood. And they had another band and I was their friend that helped them load gear it was like I was in the band, but I wasn't, I didn't play, you know? And, uh, and so I, I didn't play for years, barely. I had a guitar that collected dust and I've messed around on a little four track, but I put the guitar away and I was just like, th- that was, that was a really dark period of, man, I was just low. I, I had, I had no dreams or hopes or, and I'm watching my friends like, you know, live there not live their dream, but like at least get in a band and try it, you know? And, but they, they had a different type of music that I didn't like. It was like a chili peppers ripoff band. And, and I didn't, I wasn't into that. I was into the harder stuff, you know? And, uh, but yeah, that was a low point. But when, when they asked me to come join them, that's the only time I thought that I could do something with music when they asked me to join them and we changed our sound and we got Jonathan Davis. That was the, that was the vision where I was like, we could do something. Not that, just like make, maybe make a living at it. That's all. I wasn't, some of these guys are like, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, good luck with that. There's that's, you know, but at least we can get out there and make a living. We're getting labels like us, fans love us. You know, we can grow our fan base over the world, you know, around the world like that. Cause we're thinking like, Sepultura, um, bands like this, Faith No More, you know, they were, Faith No More was huge at one point, but it wasn't like a, a constant like thing. You know, we saw them in clubs and theaters sometimes, you know, we were thinking we can get to that level and
0: make a living at it. You know, so one of the things that can happen for people is it's almost like when you're in that depression, it feels like the walking dead. And then there's like something that animates you all of a sudden you know, something out of nowhere like that, like, like this, you know, like a band. And I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, did it feel like, Oh, I'm not depressed anymore. Or did it feel like, well, I'm still depressed, but at least I could be doing something cool.
1: I mean, it felt like if it felt like I had a, I had a life worth living in and I had some kind of a purpose, you know, and what I love to do was given back to me without me really trying. I just was like, at one point I was living with the guys and and we were taking acid. We were, you know, doing drugs, uh, other kinds of drugs too. And I was just like, man, I'm just not doing nothing, you know? And so I was going to move back to my parents' house and go to the local college and learn business and maybe learn my dad's, uh, gas station business or whatever and i cut my hair and all that and i w- I put my stuff in boxes and they had my friends were bummed that i was moving i'd been with them the whole time you know and they uh they said why don't you will not you stick around longer i go i'm just not doing nothing and and they said why don't you join the band with us you know they were like let's give them something to 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 have a reason to, to stay. And which was really cool, man, because that means I meant something to him, you know? And, and so monkey was not into it at first because he was the guitar player. And I think he felt like, what I'm, what am I lacking? Why do we need him? You know, but at the same time, he loved me and all that. And so we just jammed and he really loved it. And the sound was big. And then we found Jonathan about a year later. And so it just gave me it gave me life back again, you know, and and the drinking didn't change. I still drank. I still was, you know, did drugs off and on. But it was like we're in this band. And once we got Jonathan Davis and and saw the the growth, like pretty quick around our, our area, it was really crazy, you know, and it was exciting and it was we had this thing. So it helped the depression, but it didn't help the addiction. I guess I was elated by um small town fame, you know, <laughs> or something. I don't know. And my friends were we were all in it together. You know, I grew up with these guys and we're like building something. It was exciting. We were we were drunk on success, you know. <laughs> as low well as
0: the liquor. <laughs> so you're so you're in the band and things are moving ahead and you're feeling like hey, I'm feeling better, I have this purpose, but but the addiction is starting to is that at that point the addiction starting to get a little bit more intense?
1: Um I think I think so, yeah, around when we started the band, yes, because I had been hanging around with some friends back home in Bakersfield, but we started the band in Huntington Beach, which was Huntington beach and the people there were the cool kids and Bakersfield was the low life That, not low life, but just, ah, they're just stuck in Bakersfield, you know? And so when I'd go back to Bakersfield, some of my old friends, they were getting into methamphetamines. And so I started doing it. it just one, I would do it for a weekend there and then not do it and then go back to Huntington beach. But then the, the guy that was started managing us was doing meth. And so a few of us in cornstar doing meth so yes the addiction when i joined the band started grew because of the dabbling in Bakersfield plus the the small time manager was dealing us or or was was a meth guy and i had already been doing it so i was like oh wow it's now i know where to get it here uh-oh
0: <laughs> and and for people who aren't familiar with what the cycle of meth is like what what is it you know, when you're, when you're thinking about it and you're anticipating doing it, what's it like when you're doing it? What's the withdrawal like?
1: Um, yeah, when you do it, it's like, it makes you feel, I mean, first of all, it makes you, it's an upper, it's good, but it makes you feel like you're Superman or something or anything you do is, is just so fulfilling and you could go shopping after doing a line of meth and you're just like so into it and it's crazy, but you can be normal as far as like if you talk to a salesperson, you know, they might not even they wouldn't even know that you're on something. Or I just remember doing the simplest things, you know, and just having this it's hard to explain, man. It's just over the top elation doing the most simplest things and
0: yeah, I mean it it it's interesting because it sounds like at least the the experience while you're doing it is is literally the definition of antidepressant in the sense that you go from n- nothing matters, everything feels kind of dreary. I, I can't really find the, the purpose or the meaning in any of this to all of a sudden every single little thing not only feels good, but it feels meaningful. You know? I mean, like what a what a humongous contrast that right
1: is. and then you know and then it starts to the high turns into you're high for hours i mean hours like sometimes you know you go like eight hours without even touching anymore you know and then and then you start to you know the day goes by the sun you know is moving across the sky and then then it's dark then you're like at four in the morning. Then the sun's coming up, and then you start to get like cloudy and dizzy, dizzy kind of. Um, you're still hyper focused on things, whether whatever whatever it is, you know, it could be tweaking, you know, around the house doing stuff. But it's a it's a really strange feeling. How it's it's like a good uh, picture is like you know the sun, like when you do meth, it's like the sun rising during the day and it's a sunny day. <laughs> And then, you know, it's bright and it's nice, it's fun. And then the sun goes down, and it gets dark. And that's kind of like how the meth
0: high is. It, are the lows around the cycle of meth worse than when you were depressed? Oh God, yeah. Oh my God, so low. Oh,
1: it's dark, deep and dark. So um, even early on doing it, um, I would, when you, when you, Like I would stay up all night and then, you know, kind of do the the sun comes up the next day, you're still awake and then do it throughout that day and try not to do it past like, you know, noon or noon to 5pm the next day, I would stop so I could fall asleep that next night because I stayed up all night. So I'm going to crash. And so that that night, that next night, I would crash pretty hard you know, wake up the, the the day after that, and then feel really, really like dizzy and um, hung, like hung a uh, hangover, but in a whole new feeling of a hangover. And you're not, you don't feel like you're dying or nothing. You're just like off really agitated though. And, and really hungry. Like you just want to eat junk food and sugar and like, you know, anything greasy. And so i do that, you do that the next day. And then the day after that, um, yeah, massive, just, uh, emotional outbursts usually, you know, grumpiness. And so, yeah,
0: I, I mean, and, and you can see it, I mean, forgetting, not forgetting the physical, but in addition to the physical withdrawal, you know, just based on what you're saying, I mean, it's I've never I've never done crystal meth, but it it sounds so amazing that I could see having a, an emotional letdown of just being like, wow, I didn't even know I could feel that way. As much as then the then the physical things kick in, but it, it it would almost seem like it's both the biologically I'm just off, but also like wait where did that go? Like that that was so amazing. Like how do I get that back again?
1: Yeah, you know. So I learned that you got to pay the price after that big high that you enjoy. You have to pay the price for like, you know, for the most part of a week, better part of a week. So about five days, when you start to feel normal, it's usually by Friday. That was the cycle. And then I would do it again Friday. So I'd spend the whole week, like kind of dope sick to have that elation Friday and do it over the weekend. I started doing that a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty dark, pretty crazy.
0: Now, when all of that is happening, how are you, you know, playing in the band, connecting with people? I mean, is it, you know, are, do people even know you're going through this or is the withdrawal like, like you're saying when you were on the meth and nobody would even know it was happening? You know, if like you were talking about being at a store and nobody would even notice it was happening. Were people aware when you were withdrawing?
1: Um, Oh, totally. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I think people knew the ones that were, uh, it it depends on who you're like, in my mind right now, I'm thinking the band, you know, I think some of the band knew that we were, you know, which ones were messing with drugs and which, you know, who wasn't. And so it was just, it was just it. We just, but if you think about family or whatnot, and I didn't, all I had was the band. The band was my family when we started the band. Um, so my family, like parents or siblings or close friends back home, they, they didn't know what was going on with me. It was only, mm-hmm. yeah. It's
0: It's an interesting dynamic because I want to shift a little bit into the concept of spirituality because you've been, you know, very outspoken about how spirituality was important for your recovery and is, is part of the love and death project that we'll also talk about, but, one of the things that i think is very difficult for people is that in the midst of being depressed in the midst of feeling isolated and there's no one who who gets you and there's people who are bullying you or rejecting you otherwise you know in, in those moments it's kind of like with the tv you know it's like hey if i have people who i'm with and 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 they get me and they love me and they want to do drugs or they want to drink there it's kind of weird, but there is something that's a bit of a spiritual connection there. It's like, we're doing something together. I know that it's, it's, it's not adaptive in the classic sense, but I think that one of the things that's tough for people is that those moments are still bonding moments. There's still some kind of spirituality there.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's like a, you know, it's a group of people coming together for a common purpose, whether good or bad, you know, it's, it's your, your, you know, you unite and you focus on common interest together. And so it could be, it could be something that tears your lives apart, or it could be something that builds you guys up, you know, build your, builds your group up. So you're right. And,
0: and so let's get to the recovery part. When did you say, Hey, I gotta, I gotta change this. And, and what, what did it for you?
1: Well, it was, uh, I mean, the whole time I was trying to cope with it because I really was, I liked it and I was addicted to it, but I knew it wasn't good for me. So I would try it. Like I said, I would do it on the weekends. And then I tried to, well, when I first started I would take like three months breaks you know like oh that was fun okay i'm gonna go back and work and you know i'll be in bakersfield or whatever do it and then go back and work in la and whatever hang with the guys not do it but then once i once i could find it really easy i um i started doing the weekend thing and then when we started the band and we got signed, we were we would you know me and monkey and james were doing it i mean jonathan were doing it and we'd We'd be like, oh, okay, okay, stay away from that person, because, you know, once you start drinking, you're going to be doing lines, you know. So we'd try to we'd try to stay away from it, but you know, we knew it was bad. And then, you know, as the years went by and we let go of it, and I didn't do it for a while, I got away from it. And it was just drinking and start a family and whatnot, but it always come back. And, you know, once you bump into someone that could score or that deals it or something, it's you're doing it. And so you just had to stay away. It was it was crazy, man. And so it wasn't like we were fighting fighting our urges because we knew that with that stuff how it brings you down and that dope sickness and stuff. So we were really trying to stay away from people. But you know, once it came back into my life and I did quit the band because of it, uh, it was a what what happened spiritually that awakened me awakened to me was I at to the point where when my worst addiction was, I hadn't done it every day, I would do it for two or three days tops. But that last two years of corn, I did what I thought I would never ever do because I had fought so hard to stay away from people like that. And I, I just would never let myself do it more to than two or three days because of dope sickness but something happened where a switch just clicked and i went past the three-day mark and then i went a week and then i went two weeks and then i tried to quit after the two weeks and the dope sickness was so heavy and the depression was so crazy that i only had a couple of weeks before the lincoln park tour and corn and snoop dog and I was like I've done it 3 weeks if I'll just do it in small small lines just to get me through the tour cuz I can't go to that dope sickness you know I went through the tour and then you know I talked myself into 2 years of ne- of just doing it every day and and so the spirit I couldn't stop and I the depression and the dope sickness were so bad that the suicidal stuff was coming in and the, um, you know, uh, insane asylum or something. I I was like, I was going to lose my shit. And, and so that's where I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I need help. And I I tried talking to counselors or a counselor and a drug, uh, a drug place in Bakersfield where I lived at the time I had moved back there. And I tried that and I then I tried the church and that's when I went there and the pastor up there. It was awesome because people think religion and they think, you know, the pope or or whatever. This guy was like this, this spiritual spirit of God's spirit comes inside of you and lives inside of you. And you got to know you. you the whole meaning of this is to get to know that spiritual life inside of yourself. And we're just here to help you learn how to connect with that spirit inside of yourself. And that's what I loved about it because it wasn't like a a ritual thing. It was a like relationship thing, you know? And so once, once I started going after that, and yes, I was high on drugs going after that but I felt a supernatural embrace that was inside of me and around me. That was, you know, it says in the Bible that God is love and that's what I felt and it was peace and it was light. It was just like a supernatural light that just gave me so much hope. It was like, you know, when I did the meth, I had that high where I was like, I could do anything and just, well, I was high on meth for two years and it brought me to the gutter but this this love and it wasn't right away it was me going and seeking and asking for it i need help i need help and i need i need help and once i felt that that light that hit my soul the deepest part of me that's what made me get filled with hope it was like okay the drug thing was that was a a counterfeit i'm trying to 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 awaken myself to this superhuman form of life with drugs look where it got me what i really need is this because the drugs are spiritual i think the drugs are i think you know i don't know how it all works but i think it's very spiritual that that you know it's like witchcraft or whatever you take a potion you mix all this freaking chemicals together you snort it and you're freaking another person that's spiritual to me and so but what i got it was i got it from a pure source from from the spirit of god honestly that's all i could say and i was instantly addicted and and drawn to that because i knew it was healthy i knew it was healthy for me and i knew that what I was experiencing was real. And I had been given um, eyes to see for some reason. And I had to follow that path to find out how healthy I can be and, and why I I was given this ability to uh, really know that it was real, you know, because a lot of people don't.
0: And one of the things that you've talked about, uh, I think you and I talked about, uh, about a year ago, is that, when you were connected in that way, certain things seem to make sense, like certain issues of self-care, like whether it was therapy or medication, um, that some people assume when you have a religious connection, you say, don't do those things. But it sounded like you actually felt like, no, 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 this is part of my connecting with myself. This is part of my taking care of myself.
1: Um, yeah, I eventually came to that. But at first, I stopped all of my my antidepressants right away because I found the meaning of life and I did find the meaning of life but idiot move because a year later all of my mental illness came back and then I was trying to pray it away and meanwhile my daughter suffered because she had like a I wasn't bipolar but I had all these bipolar like um personality um, malfunctions you know because i stopped my medication so after about three years i started my medication again and i leveled out and and i found the meaning of life and the medication helped me so yeah it just took about three years but uh definitely um balance is very important to to find your life you got to find what works for you there's good things out there and now non-narcotic medication is definitely what i like to um talk about you know because all these other medications these anti-anxiety medications they're they're so addictive you know and they'll they can they can harm you and so you know to each their own but i don't you know i have i i get prescribed like five volume a year five pills only for planes And I won't let myself have any more than that because, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be clean. I want to be clear. And I don't want to, I don't want to fall into something else. So, yeah, I think, but
0: there's definitely medication does help. Now let's move to the latest project with love and death. And, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand about how that has become something of an extension of your spiritual practice and so tell you know tell me about that you know a lot of people obviously know you from corn but this is a new project this is something that you're into now so what's happening with it
1: yeah well you know love and death i did have a uh we it was a project that i did right before i came back with corn i formed a band i i did an ep i started touring around and then turned the ep into a full record and then the band kind of fizzled away when I rejoined Corn. So um it, it only toured with that name for like three years. And then and then I put it away. Corn was too busy, it's too big of a machine. But um it was all of these things we just talked about for the last 45 minutes or whatever, is what I would sing about in Love and Death with the lyrics and whatnot. And so that was a really important part of me. It was it was like therapy to me, just like you know, corn was, you know, Jonathan's therapy was his lyrics with corn. You know, I learned from the from the best. You know, from my own singer in corn, and so, and and all. I mean, look at all these bands. So so many bands use music as 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 therapy, and it's just their. It's, they love it so much because it's part of their. It's, it's it's part of their life, you know, and it's and it's so it feels so good to get this part of you. And put it into art and to share it with people. And so yeah, that was that was really helpful. You know, I would sing about the depression. I would my lyrics were about being in those dark places. And I like to sing about the dark things in life because that's the thing that a lot of us fear the most. You know, we we don't want to go there. And so I like to make music that helps people get out of there that's those those moments, you know. So the new the new love and death it's uh, it's more of a collaborative effort and it came in the perfect timing, I think, because we've been working on it the last five years off and on. Um, but this time we got a couple members of Breaking Benjamin came into the project and uh, Keith Wallen from Breaking Benjamin was a key writer on 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 the songs and but uh, the producer, Jason Rao, guitar the other guitar player break and benjamin he produced the first love and death way back when and now he's he's producing and playing guitar and playing bass on the project and it was more of a collaborative effort but the 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 lyrics that keith brought you know were i felt like it was a a, what he was writing was a, a great it just it was needed for this 2020 year that we're in there's a lot of we you're just hearing a lot of stories about people's suffering, you know, they're, they're at home with their families and, and, you know, families are suffering because life is not normal. You're stuck in your house with these people that you love, but you're not with them all the time like this. And you are really getting to know each, each other a lot better. Right. And so relationships kind of being to the test and, you know, people's depression, anxiety going through the roof. So a lot of these songs are dealing with a lot of that stuff. And it just—we didn't really plan it like that, but it just happened that way. And I think it's just what I'm meant to do on this earth. It started with corn, you know, and all these other bands that we tour with, Break and Benjamin, the, uh, you know, or whatever bands were, were Slitknotts, the, the, uh, the Disturbs, or whatever. We sing about this stuff, you know. We sing about real life's struggles, and this is what this this new record is is really, uh, I think, important for this year. And I'm, I'm really excited to have the Breaking Benjamin guys collaborate with me because it's way better than the, I feel it's a lot better than the last Eleven Death record. And it's more of a like a a stronger force, if you will, because I got so much talent and I got other singers singing with me. I sing like on half of it. Keith Wallen from Breaking Benjamin is singing on a song. I got Lacey from, Lacey Stern from, X Flyleaf singing on a track, and uh, J.R. baris is singing on it too. So I think uh, I think spiritually it will, and emotionally it will help people in this in this crazy year. And a lot of the fans are excited because it's been eight years since we released something. So you know, I I just I look forward to it. And we're the cool thing we get to release a video this Friday, the first video for it in probably nine ten years so that we've done. So that's exciting. But
0: uh, cool stuff happening, man. Yeah, it's awesome. I think one of the one of the biggest things that's that's just disappointing a lot of times is that people assume that when you sing about difficult topics, scary topics, it's as if you're encouraging them. You know, we were talking beforehand about Black Sabbath and War Pigs and you know Judas Priest getting accused of you know increasing some kid's risk of suicide just because they're talking about these difficult topics and it's it's such a it's such a mistake i think on people's parts to assume because we need we need people like you guys out there talking about these difficult things because you know unfortunately like it's it's great if your music is upbeat but sometimes when you're down in those depressed places you're addicted you need something that feels like it, it gets you and, and it's like you're, it makes you feel like you're not alone because someone's
1: talking about it you know It's like you know the hard things to talk about make people feel that they're not alone and you know you do have some and it's rare but you have those those certain people that are you know they're they're mentally ill that take it the wrong way and you know you have those stories sometimes but that's rare for the most part like me Judas Priest um I didn't know a lot what they were singing about back then but it was a it was something that I loved you know it was their their sound it was the sound and it was the the
0: juice the, you know
1: whatever i just love the music and it and it influenced me
0: you know well listen man it was so great talking with you again i appreciate you stepping up you know you've been talking about these issues publicly for a while and uh you know it's it's, it's such a great thing because it helps so many people and uh you know it's it's great talking with you and i appreciate you coming on You too, man. And that's amazing that you're doing this. Um, You know, we're hitting a lot of different areas, but it's, you know, the, the idea is just like what, what you were saying, you know, we want the people who are out there who, who love the music and, and, you know, look up to you guys to say, you know, to be in the same way that like Iron Maiden juice priest was for you, you know, want to be that having those conversations to be that thing, maybe that helps people get through, you know, hearing like, Oh, know brian went through that and he came out of it okay you know maybe maybe i'm gonna be okay and that that you know look you know and i know that that's that's all the difference in the world so that's the goal
1: right that's amazing this is a great a great uh purpose you got going on just because so many wounded uh musicians you know and artists are out there and it's like we're just we're, we're like using it's like music is and, and uh processing it and articulating it is
0: like our psychology, you know, yeah, <laughs> our therapy. It it it's right, it's exactly like you said, it's that the musicians oftentimes have done that very difficult work of 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 kind of exploring themselves and connecting themselves and digging, you know. Deep, you know? It's like, yeah, it's digging deep and 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 it's such a parallel to what we're hoping to do, but it it is also that purpose, it's also that. If that purpose can help you then say, you know something? I I really do want to do this music thing. So I'm gonna work on my panic attacks because of it. You know, I see that, you know, I'm I'm into music. So I really do wanna work on my addiction so I can, I can do this. You know, those are those are the kinds of things like when you have that purpose that make all the difference and and you guys live purposeful lives in that way. You know, you've struggled with all of that. And so to me, it's it's a very, it's a very compelling parallel to what you know a lot of people are going through in their lives
1: right it's amazing well godspeed to you bro and uh you too my man talk to you again
0: yeah look forward to the next time
1: yes sir all right take it easy see ya
0: i am so thankful to brian head welch for sharing his experience of struggling with depression and crystal meth dependence One of the things I really took away from our conversation was how painful it can be when we feel rejected by and isolated from the people in our lives. Brian talked about painful bullying experiences that resulted in self-hatred that stayed with him for years. And once we have that self-hatred, it's so difficult for anything to sink in and feel good. It's like the world becomes this membrane where anything negative about us is let in and anything positive about us is kept out. And if we are experiencing depression, those negative thoughts match our mood, making it even more difficult to connect with ourselves or others. And when we are in that space, it's so hard to break out. We'll turn to anything that can make us feel okay, even for just a moment. And Brian talked about how he sought out those experiences, sometimes in constructive activities like playing guitar or innocuous activities like watching TV. Other times, it was more dangerous like turning to drugs and alcohol. It was striking how Brian went from a world of depression where nothing felt good or important to a world of crystal meth where when he was high, everything felt good and important. And I appreciated Brian's framing his struggle as a spiritual journey, how music and even drug use for him was spiritual. Talking with Brian was a good reminder that if while you're depressed or in the throes of addiction and you're longing for some sort of spirituality to fill that void, you have options. Therapy, medication, religion, support groups, connecting with supportive friends, exploring your creativity, whatever vehicle of spirituality works best for you, you can move away from self-hatred, depression, and addiction, and towards a path of recovery. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with depression or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. And you may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the crossroads. I
1: wanna love you. Oh, oh, oh. Consequence Podcast Network.